Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Just bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie will connect you with local pros who match your specific needs. Or book a service instantly at an upfront price. So join the millions of homeowners who use Angie to care for their homes and get your next home service job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Welcome to All League Wrestling Unrestricted. This is the official AEW podcast. Tony Schiavone and Aubrey Edwards. Always wanted you to say your name because you say it better than I do. I, I no one can say anyone's name better than Tony Schiavone. Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you for saying that. But hey, how are you doing, man? I'm doing okay. How are you? I'm I'm great. I'm great. We are so excited to have Ricky Starks with us as our guest this week. Ricky, how are you doing, bud? I am doing fantastic. Uh, this is great to actually sit down and get to, to chat with both of y'all. Well, it's great to have you in AEW, I can tell you that, and I'm not the only one that says that. Uh, uh, everybody says that. It's great to have you in AEW, and uh, we want to let Aubrey give you the list of your accolades. Oh, man. here's a, It's a it's a very oh, long list. Very long yes. list. Okay, here we go. Oh, my God. All right. She's got them all. Ace- ACW Hardcore Champion, ACW Televised Champion, ACW Unified Champion, Dojo Pro White Belt Champion, IWR Revolutionary Champion, NWA World Television Champion, uh, NWA uh, World Television Championship Tournament winner, VIP Tag Team Champion, Wrestle Circus Big Top 10 Tag Team Champion, and Extreme Championship Wrestling Heavyweight Champion. Wow. Wow. Honestly, there's a few that I forgot. (laughs) <laughs> that, I, that I even won. Yeah, that's that's, that's tremendous. Uh, so you make your uh, AEW debut on June 17th, which was just for a uh, challenge to the TNT Championship. Uh, explain how that, that, all, that all happened, how you got that match. So that was a pretty insane just for the fact that – so one, I actually came to the show, to the AEW show here in Austin back in February oh. just to come and see my friends there. And so – I saw Cody again, and I knew Cody from I want to say a few like a few years before that when he was on the Indies, mm-hmm. and he remembered me, and, and we we chat a bit, and then I he invited me to like the after party uh, at the hotel, and then I got uh, introduced to like QT and Charlie and Cody and everyone else there. It was really really cool, and so that was it. That was the extent of that situation, right? It was just just me hanging out and whatnot. And then before Cody left, he was like, you know, we'll stay in touch or whatnot and exchange phone numbers. And then afterwards, um, the whole NWA situation happened and I left and didn't know what was going on. And I remember watching AEW Dynamite where that challenge was put out there. And then the following tweet, which clarified that this was open to anyone. And I I promise to you, I promise to God that I, I was watching that and I was like, oh, my God, this is how my like this is how I get in. This is how things start to go. And I'll never forget the next day I was at the gym in mid set. I could not get the image of me coming out, challenging for the, the title. Me, like I was visualizing all this. I was cutting this promo on them. And then we had this great match and this and that. And that was the end of it. And so I want to say that following Monday, I got a text and they were like, hey, dude, would you want to come in and challenge Cody for the title. And I said, absolutely. Absolutely. I would love to. And then it just literally within the, the, the day or two, I got a, a, a flight info and the hotel info. 
and I was on my way. And in my head, this was just a one-off. So I had a plan for it. I was like, all right, I'll do this match. Then I'll just up my price on the indies. And then, <laughs> you know, you know right. how it goes. Up my price on the indies. And then just keep that momentum building until I get to whatever, you know, whatever the next thing may be for me. And then, yeah, obviously, we have the match. And as you know, it's, it's history from there. I, I just, I remember coming to the back and I wasn't sure how the reception was just because one, that was the first time I've ever wrestled uh, with no crowd with those types of stakes. Uh, I, I've, I've done that before with WWE where they, they have you wrestle and, you know, on SmackDown in front of literally no one for whatever reason. But this was a little bit different just because uh, we had a, a bigger stake at hand. So I just remember coming to the back and everything was very pleasant. It's like, good job. But for some reason, I couldn't find Cody. And I think he had walked off from somewhere. But he came back. It was just like, oh, so good. Thank you. Thank you. And I was like, oh, shit. What, you know, I wasn't used to that type of reaction from people afterwards. I'm always like, oh, good stuff. And we go about our day. And then, yeah, uh, that night, I went into the, the after party and hung out. And then I just I went home thinking that was it. And then the following week, um, Tony contacted me. And it was pretty much a wrap from there. I, was, I remember like he telling me, like, oh, you want to offer you something? I just started crying because that is about 10 years of hard work that I've, I've, I've done. Just me. I've never had anyone help me out. I've never, I've never was with any type of clicks or anything like that. Yeah, I just, I've literally had to do things on my own. And that was a, a big culmination of that. And it felt good to finally be proud of myself, no less, of working towards something and getting to a certain point. Yeah, and I just, I sat in this, this apartment by myself, just bawling my eyes out because I was like, this is so crazy, absolutely crazy. So yeah, I'm, I'm thrilled and grateful to be here, but the, the series of events leading up to it was something I couldn't even fathom. Rick, it's, that's a great story. It really is. It's a, a true cuts to the chase, right to the heart story. We appreciate that. But I do want to tell you that your match you had with Cody earned you that spot. I, I, I remember calling the match. And then I remember first thing I did, I went to the gorilla position. I told Tony, I said, that kid is really, really good. And I think I came back and I told you, congratulations on your match because it was tremendous from the promo that we had that you cut that was on the big screen to the, the match. It was very apparent that, that you're very talented. So a lot of things have to come together for you to get a job like this. I know Aubrey knows because we are in this and different ways in the same boat. We all kind of like we're in the right place at the right time and things happen right. But that match was sensational. You had to leave that match, though, feeling very good about uh, what, how you performed against Cody. I definitely did. Um, and, and to backtrack just a bit, I don't think a lot of people understand. I wasn't supposed to have any type of um, promo package. Uh, I came in a day early and we filmed some B-roll stuff uh, with Dylan. And we just did the interview, the sit-down interview. And I was just, you know, I just did, just did my regular talking. But Dylan liked it so much that he actually pitched it to Tony and Jess, and he, he cut up a package that was essentially that promo. Right. And then it got greenlit. So I wasn't even supposed to have that. Right. You know, I was just going to come out, and that would be the end of it. So 
after that, after seeing the, the Titan Tron, the music and the whole thing, and after the match, uh, I remember, I do remember you talking to you, Tony, but I remember like having to go off by myself before I came back and, and started interacting and just had to take a moment because I felt like I did, I loved it. I, I loved the match. I thought there was a lot of chemistry there. I thought it was what it should have been, right? And I think that was something different than most people had seen on AEW television in a bit. And I just, yeah, I, I, I remember just walking off and having to take a moment and be like, wow, like that was, felt great. That was, that was awesome for my first match. And I don't know how long, maybe four months, five months. I was just like, Oh my God, this is, I, I felt good for once about myself. You know, there's times where you're like, oh, I could have did this or that. Sure. This was a moment in my life where I was like, Oh my God, that was right on point. And that's a very rare feeling to have, but that's a very great feeling to have in these types of situations. I know that when, I think it was the night before, because your match was taped and we were sitting around watching Live Dynamite, and you and I met each other on the indies and whatnot, and we're having kind of a conversation about like getting to that point. Because I, I think it was like Tuesday night, I flew in, I walked into medical to get tested, and you're sitting there, and I'm like, <gasps> yes! <laughs> and I was like, oh, this is happening. This is happening. Yeah. This boy has so much charisma. He does not know how great this is going to be. But like just talking about the idea of like positive uh, manifestation of if you want something and you think that it's a possibility, it's it's kind of crazy how something like that can just happen. Yeah. And I mean, combine that with, you know, opportunities happening at the right time and all of the hard work you're saying like that you put in for 10 years. It's like all of that just ends up aligning that. I mean, in my mind, I was like, oh, this match is going to be dope. And I love the fact that Dylan was like, oh, yeah, let's put the package together. It's like, yeah, let's open with how, like, charisma as fuck Ricky is and <laughs> and just go from there because everyone's going to be on top of it. And then you've got this banger of an entrance song. Yeah. I'm like, oh, this is good. This is good. It's insane. Just because in, I'm not used to that. I'm not used to people actually, like, trying to put my best assets forward. Obviously, it's it's a... You know how the indies are. It's a very like I've had to do everything myself to just get myself that over, if that makes sense, mm -hmm. uh, with the vignettes and all of that. So for Dylan to just go out of his way to, to put together a package and say, hey, you're good. This is a good promo. Let's pitch it and to get the music and to get the Titan Tron. I was just like, this isn't this is crazy to me. But the funny thing is I told Cody in the back, I said, hey, man, I don't want to come off like cocky. But for once, I'm going to be straight with myself and say, I think this match is going to be match of the year candidate. You can, mm. he, I'll never forget. He gave like this chuckle. He goes, oh, okay. And I meant that <laughs> because that's how I felt. You know what I'm saying? I, I meant that 100%. You got to believe it. Yeah, you do. Exactly. If you, if you don't, then what's the point? So you end up signing and you end up getting your first victory June 30th against uh, Griff Garrison. Big oh, yeah, Jungle Boy. Yeah. And then I think your uh, first Dynamite match was actually the tag, you and Brian Cage versus Moxley and Darby. Also the first time we got to work together, so I was super pumped for that. Talk about the skateboard. So the skateboard sucked, um, obviously. <laughs> Boy, did it. Wow. <laughs> that reminded me of some old ECW stuff. That reminded me of like Tommy Dreamer being caned with a Singapore cane. I, it's just in the marks on the back and all that stuff. Uh, you know, so I have this thing where like, uh, obviously people, people look at me and then they just assume a thing about me where it's like, oh, he wouldn't do something like that. He doesn't do a uh, death match stuff or hardcore, whatever you want to call it. 
But I have a very, uh, I have a checklist really where I, there's things I want to do in wrestling that I've been always curious about. Thumbtacks was one of them. So I saw the board and I was like, you know, in my head, I was like, what's the worst that could happen? I just, uh. it just goes flat on my back, right? What's the worst that could happen? Well, if you look at the pictures, the still yeah. shots of, of that, the board has hit me already and Darby is still up here. And I said, oh, that's how that happened. <laughs> and of course, naturally, it just skidded right across. And honestly, there's a lot of people who said I cursed on TV, but I did not. Mm-hmm. I actually was like, oh, you know, that type mm-hmm. of thing. I will support that claim. I will support that, that you did not curse. <laughs> I was there. <laughs> yeah. So I just remember laying there and like touching my, my back while, you know, while I was getting pinned and being like, oh my God, why is there like these visible, uh, like they felt like when you run your hands across a, a blind, like, you know, shades or something. I said, oh, Mo. And I was like laying there. I was like, please, God. And then I remember being pushed over. You were pushing me over. Aubrey. I rolled I like, you out of the okay. ring. I'm like, okay, just I roll said, this way. Show off your back. Yeah, but when you when you push me, <laughs> when you rolled me out of the ring, you rolled me on more tacks. Ah, so, whatever, you're good. Uh, yeah, go. So yeah, so wow. it, it sucked. Absolutely sucked. The the pain is like it wasn't that bad. I got to the bag. The doctors, thank God, uh, the doctors were great. Yeah. There's no scarring really, but I remember that night I took a hot shower expecting to just scream in pain, and I was fine. I think I'm a mutant. Because the pain was was gone, and in a weird way, I, I think I'm a masochist as well. Because I remember thinking, like, you know, I wouldn't mind doing that again, not with the boards, but definitely with tacks that are just on a even ground, mm. uh, and, and you know, go from there. But I think it'll be a while before you see that. It's a difference landing on tacks as a, as opposed to sliding against tacks, just right. like the way that natural physics work. Right, <laughs> of course, you know. That's how, you know, that's how it is. And then uh, combine that with your heel referee rolling on some more tacks. Yeah. So that's got to be really painful. <laughs> hey, I was ready right. to count in that shit, man. Like, you got to be tough. <laughs> God. I just was worried about getting blood on the mat. That's that's right. my big concern, you know. Whatever. We'll clean it up. We'll change out the mat. It's fine. Sure. You're a great talker, Ricky. I mean, that's been well established. Now you're working with Taz, who's a great talker, too. Have you guys, uh, have you learned anything from him, you think, or yeah, absolutely. Taz is a very great for Taz is a great talker and the way that he's able to get something over it in just very small words. In addition to that, he's also he has a great business mind. Right. And the way that he explains things to me and trying to see in a bigger picture uh has helped me out quite a bit. Uh, I find him to be absolutely like game on when it comes to literally trying to teach me like, Hey, this is how things go from my past experiences, you know, all that stuff. So I, I like Taz a lot. I think he's been a great help so far to me, uh, just in ways that I can't even see right now. Right. So you became a wrestling fan around age seven. Uh, what was sort of your inspiration? What got you into wrestling? So my brother and sister used to watch, um, wrestling before me. Mm. Uh, and so I would like my brother had the action figures. And so there's like, the Ted DiBiase action figure that I vividly remember flushing down the toilet and getting in trouble for. So that was kind of, <laughs> that was kind of like my first experience with wrestling. And then as my memory started to develop more, it had to be around six or seven that I remember watching raw randomly and being like, wow, this is insane. 
I remember seeing Taker just come out and like stand on the, you know, the, the post and throw his hands up and the lights come on. And I was just drawn to that for whatever reason. And then honestly, from there, that was really the sticking point for it. A lot of people don't realize I've never done any sports. I never thought I was athletic. I've only watched wrestling my entire life. And so there's a lot, it's a deeper love than just that. Like it's ingrained in my entire existence, basically of just wrestling. So I don't think that my family thought it would go this long as it has, but they are super proud. And especially my brother, uh, super proud and supportive of see how far I've come, especially because he used to be a huge wrestling fan and uh, he's slowly getting back into it now that I'm on AEW. So it's a lot easier to get back into it when someone, you know, is on television, right? (laughs) Absolutely. Speaking of television, we're going to talk with uh, Ricky about his experiences with WWE. This is AEW Unrestricted, and we're talking to absolute Ricky Starks, talking a little bit about how he got into wrestling, uh, but I know that you had a couple enhancement matches at WWE. Talk about those a little bit. Absolutely. So I think my first enhancement match was like back in 2012, a year after I, I started wrestling. I think that was against um, Jinder Mahal on SmackDown in, in Houston, and that was cool to to just have that experience. Obviously, when you're younger and, and doing stuff like that, you're like, oh, this is it. This is how I'm getting, you know, my big break. Yeah. And uh, it, obviously, that didn't turn out like that. So that's how that – that was the first start of that. And then as the years went on, I started to do more with them. I, I did some stuff with, like, Ryback and getting put through a table. What else have I done? I've done a tag team match with me and, and Aaron Solo against uh, The Revival. Just a big – Big circle, obviously, in life. Uh, and then also, too, I had a match against Kane in Austin on main event. And that one is very unusual just for the fact that they gave me a live microphone. Mm-hmm. I went out there, they gave me a live mic, and I, I, I talked my stuff. And then Kane comes out, and we had this, like, this five-minute match. It was so weird to me because a writer gave me like a, a sheet that I had to go over. I'll never forget, he, he, the writer came up to me. He was like, do you want to you know, go over the lines and what you're going to say to me? I said, no, I think I got it. It's up here. And uh, he like asked me again. I was like, no, I think I'm okay. I can't remember who it was. It was one of the producers. I would say it was Dean, but I don't even think it was Dean. It was someone else. And they go, he's basically telling you to recite it to him. I said, oh, okay. Well, I just I'll, I'll go ahead and do that. <laughs> And it was terrible. What was written was like stuff that people in, in Austin in Texas don't even eat uh, at like a, a, a sporting event. Yeah. But I went out there and I did it. Kane comes out and I knew, <laughs> I knew Kane's stuff. So I knew Kane's moveset. And there was a, there was a moment where he whipped me to the turnbuckle and, and usually he gives you like the, um, the, what is it? The, the side, the side suplex, you know, the sidewalk slam. Thank you. And that wasn't called in the back. And I don't know. And I thought I was, I really thought I was in trouble because I hit it and walked out and then just right into it. I was like, Oh shoot. And as he covered, I said, I'm so sorry, man. He goes, no, it's okay, kid. Keep going. And we get to the back and super nice guys, super, super nice, super respectful. And really after that, it kind of ended there. Then I went and did a, a tryout for him and nothing happened and was like a bit in limbo as far as not knowing what to do. Uh, but as far as those, those enhancement stuff goes for WWE, 
I appreciated it more just because one, I think I got more comfortable with how the system worked and uh, just getting in front of a live crowd like that in that setting, in that position. Let's talk about, um, I want to add something that Jinder Mahal is a pretty good guy too. Yeah, he is. He's awesome. Uh, he is awesome. And I haven't seen that much of him as of late. Maybe I'm not watching enough of it, but. I think he was out with the injury actually. And Yeah, he's been out with an injury. Okay. Back. Okay, that's cool. The knee. So uh, when that ended, uh, you said that was Ed with, with Kane. Did Was it a, still a goal of yours to be in the WWE? Or what, what did you think after that about your career? It, so the way I took it was, wow, they gave me mic time, which is very rare, right? And so I was like, okay, this is a good sign. So at that point, I still did want to continue with that. But I think what happened is things changed after the, um, the 2017 tryout I did. and. I'm not trying to toot my own horn, but I'll be damned if I don't relish in the fact of how hard I work and how out of the water I blew people. Uh, me and actually Sammy were at the same tryout together, mm. and he can attest to you. I definitely killed everyone in the promo class. And right. then when it came to having to go up against these athletes, I held my own to the point where even the, the coaches were like, no, you, you know, you did good, blah, blah, blah. So – I went into it putting all my eggs in one basket and said, this is it. That's how I went with the mindset. Only to get a basic no mm. from there, which is fine. But it wasn't even a no. It was more like, you know, go off and try to get over somewhere else and then we'll try to, to come back on you. I was like, damn, that, that right there really showed me that I cannot wait on somebody to offer me something. Right. I think it changed from that moment where I was like, I don't think WWE is exactly where I want to be right now. I'm going to just go out and try to f make a way for myself. And so ever since that happened, I, I just started to just think more outside of the box with certain ways of, of getting myself over, uh, especially on the indies at that time. Like if you weren't at super athletic and doing all of the crazy stuff, you really weren't a main name. And so I had to struggle with that. And being like a, a character when everyone else was just a dude who could do a backflip and I couldn't compete. So I think after that, the, the goal for WWE wasn't as prevalent as it was. And that took a bit of time for me to get right because th that's my childhood dream. You know, it's, that's a hard thing to try to process when you're an adult and be like, well, it isn't what I thought it would be when I was younger. So. Let me try to figure something else out. And at the same time, like 2017, AEW doesn't exist. So if it's not WWE, right. there's really no other option. So it's like, <laughs> yeah, okay, exactly. well, guess I'm just on the indies. This is fine. Right. But at the same time, like you could completely blow them out of the water. You could have awesome promos. You could like have the athleticism. But at the end of the day, it's entertainment, right? Like if you're not filling the box they're trying to fill, it's just maybe yeah. the opportunity is not there. So it's it's I, I totally understand that it's kind of hard to just – kind of get your mind right and say, maybe now's not the time. Maybe this isn't what I want. Like, and having that not negatively impact you. But I know eventually you ended up at NWA, which was like, oh, of course, this makes so much sense because you're a promo guy, you're an old school guy, you've got character. Talk about NWA and working with Billy Corgan. So I, the way the NWA came about was, uh, so after the WWE thing, like everything in my life, there's always some type of milestone that I'm like, oh, this is what I look forward to. And so after the WWE, I was like, I don't know what to do now. So I started making these vignettes that I, I went out and paid a guy and produced. And uh, I started putting them on 
Twitter just because I just wanted to have like, in my opinion, it wasn't a vignette. It was an aesthetic like lookbook. That's how I, I approached it. And that caught the attention of, I want to say it was Nick Aldis and then Lagana. And so from there, we, we started talking and we went, uh, they brought me in for NWA 70. I did a four-way match with a bunch of big guys. Willie Mack was included. And then that was the end of it. And so he called me up, Lagana called me up about a few weeks afterwards and we were talking. He says, you know, we have this idea for this show that we're trying to do on YouTube. Uh, and so I said, well, you know, um, I'll have to wait until I come back because I was traveling overseas. And so when I came back, they were still a go for it. Uh, and then NWA Power, that's, the, that's how NWA Power came to be. Uh, they came on. And from there, they, so before going into it, there was no real plan for me, if that makes sense, which I'm fine with. Like, I don't, I can just make something out of nothing. Right. And so when I got there, I started to see how things work. What I noticed off the bat was that no one does promos anymore. Like that's a really bygone. Yeah. It's a, it's a bygone thing for whatever reason. And that's a, a area that I think that I, I, I obviously enjoy, but I think that was an area that I was like, okay, I can take this and make it a lot more than what it is right now. And so they offered me that uh, position and that platform to do so. And I'm telling you, every time I went out there, I was always freestyling. There's not, I had an idea of what needed to get, like the points needed to be hit, but every single time it was a freestyle. No and shit. I love that. I, I swear to you, I love that so much. And I like that because one, I think I work best under pressure. So if I put the pressure on myself and not have a lot of time to prepare, it's different. And so, you know, from there I had the promos and then we were doing the matches. It was great. And that's how I slowly started to build up that, uh, I don't know how you say that, you know, that, that following essentially. This is, there's a great underlying story in all of this. And let me, let me, let me lay it out for you. Okay. You got to do a, this is old school talking. Sorry. You got to do a promo to get over. I always thought that you got to be able to do that to really draw people into your match and you can right. do that. Okay. And the great, the one, the great ones who were able to do promos have always been guys who can freestyle and not have to recite a thing to a fucking idiot writer. Okay. So, <laughs> so, yeah. so there you go. So that's why you're, that's why you are where you are right now, because you are one of the great promos that we got because you freestyle and a W lets you freestyle. They let you do your own thing without having right. to write something up for you. So I, I think it, it's, it's a great match. I mean, it, it really, really is. You became the television champion. NWA TV champion is a historic championship. We talked about that on AEW, uh, Dynamite, Tully Blanchard, Arn Anderson. There's so many more, Dusty Rhodes. I mean, you had to realize what that championship meant, didn't you? Absolutely. Uh, and, and that's funny you bring that up because I remember flying to Jacksonville and I was writing down things in my head of like uh, just things that led up to this, right? And I was like, you know, it's basically I was writing a journal to myself. And that was one of the things I said, this is so bizarre. The fact that I'm going to compete for the TNT championship title that's held by Cody when I was the former, you know, television world champion who was also held by Dusty and then Tully. Mm -hmm. It just, it wasn't lost on me at all. And it's such a right. cool, once again, yeah, a full circle. So it wasn't lost on me at all that 
was a big part of that title and that history and, and how that meant to me. In addition to it, I was able to be in a, a history book alongside those people. Something I could not even fathom, uh, you know, three years ago. So I, I appreciate that, that opportunity having to wrestle three times in a, a one night just to finally win that. And finally have somebody be like, yo, this is a guy that we think is, is great. It's good enough to hold this specific title with this type of lineage. I, I couldn't be more grateful for it. So you were part of a documentary, True Wrestling, with uh, yeah. you and your tag partner, Aaron Solo, who's been on Dark with us a couple times. I know it also featured Mark Calloway, Undertaker. How wild is that? <laughs> so just to give you a backstory, I used to go to a gym called On It here in Austin. And this is whatever year it was where Taker has to wrestle Shane uh, for that mania in Dallas. So he was getting ready for that. I want to say that's what, 2016 maybe? Sounds about so, right. Yeah, so that's how I initially met Taker, was at that gym. We would always work out at the same time. And at that time, Taker was getting ready. He had a, a guy that worked out on it who was filming a documentary for him because he wanted to, sh he was like, he's, he was going to slow down and he was going to eventually retire maybe that, that following year. So he wanted something for his kids to see how the process of getting into it was. And so I met him there and we, you know, I talked to him and we kind of kept in contact with that. And then Brandon, who, who was doing the interview um, or the documentary, wanted to do a documentary on independence and how things were. So he followed us one week through a loop from, I think it was San Antonio to Laredo, all the way to Mexico, uh, to Monterey for Riot. And so in this whole documentary, he wanted a segment where we actually sat down with Taker, went to a barbecue joint and just picked his brains. And I promise you, we went to this barbecue joint in, in BK's uh, and that Taker frequents pretty, quite a bit. I don't want to say sometimes. Uh, and we sat there for like three and a half hours. And we just talked to him. I was asking him all these different questions. I saw he, um, how he, you know, trained, where he trained at. Uh, I asked him about um, Don Jardine and the whole walking the ropes stuff. Like, I'm, I'm a huge nerd when it comes to that. I remember one time I, I had the idea of like being spoiler number five or four or something, something crazy uh, on the independence and told him about that. But it's so bizarre because sitting there with him and talking to him, I gained a lot more insight on how things work and him being my favorite wrestler of all time i couldn't i couldn't process it i couldn't process it at all and a lot of people don't realize is that i get a lot of my ideologies and the way that i do things in the ring from taker and you would look at me and you'd be like oh i wouldn't have expected undertaker to be his favorite i thought it'd be like the rock or something right <laughs> uh, but, <laughs> but no undertaker is literally my favorite wrestler of all time so that experience was so cool to have because who else can get that? I had that man, we sat on a couch together and he reviewed my match from one of the, the local independents. Yeah. And there's a picture of him, just him sitting right here and me sitting right here from, from behind. I'm just like, that doesn't work. Only to, to then a few years later, I helped uh, like he needed uh, getting prepared to wrestle Cena. And we went in for like two days straight and I just did a nothing but like heat drills on them. Damn. It blows my mind. 
I can't. Yeah, it blows my mind. What's the uh, best? Uh, what's the best bit of information that he gave you to help your career? Honestly, Taker is really big on story, and the one thing that he reinforced into me is that you can literally make a story out of anything, and that is the God honest truth. Case in point, we had a tag team match in Laredo, and it's just this is a group of guys who are big fans of Whataburger, and so there wasn't much of a story to it. Uh, but I remember cutting, like, just grabbing the microphone and cutting a promo and letting people know that I thought In and Out Burger was way better than Whataburger. And there were people who were legitimately pissed off about it. And so mm-hmm. we just went with it from there. So, the, yeah, just the fact that you can make a story out of anything is the best key of advice that I could give to anyone. Right. Because stories are what sell, man. Stories yeah. be able to talk to them. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, you, you mentioned The Rock very quickly before uh, we, we go to our next segment. You, uh, you've you been compared to The Rock. You realize that, don't you? Absolutely. Vince? I get it. Yeah. Okay. You get it? <laughs> Ricky Starks, otherwise known as Pebble. <laughs> you know, the funny thing is there was a point very early on when I considered changing my name from Ricky to Rocky because I was getting those comparisons way back right. when. And I think it was like the curly hair. And we have somewhat of the same um, – structure as far as face goes maybe i don't know right yeah i I don't take it as offense when people compare it to me if anything i think i think it's really cool like sure to be compared to someone and that's when they see me they get remembered of someone else that was great Uh, but i'll tell you this though uh, i choose to be the first ricky starks and not a a carbon copy of someone else so i don't mind standing toe-to-toe or side by side with the rock as long as he knows what's up and i know what's up far as individuality goes how's your people's eyebrow yeah there we go you no know, it's not it's not bad it's not, it's not bad, bad. At all. it's worth watching this video version of the podcast just for that oh dude oh absolutely yeah it's you legit <laughs> all right you uh you guys have asked and ricky starks is now going to answer your questions here on aew unrestricted well, Ricky Sharks, get ready. We got some uh, Q and A's uh, coming up here. Uh, a lot of Q's. You got the A's, and uh, and they are uh, with our from our Twitter account. And I'm going to go right to what we were just talking about. And uh, this is uh, from A Casus Make C A C U S M A A C on Twitter. Have you had any feedback from the Undertaker since your Dynamite debut? No, actually, I haven't. Uh, Taker's been enjoying the retirement life, uh, yeah. and he's pretty much re- removed as far as, um, obviously, b- besides his close circle. I haven't had much contact with him since that whole documentary series went out. Uh, I definitely sent Michelle some messages to say hi, just to keep in touch, but they've really just been off living their life. I think they go, uh, there's a cabin I think they have where they just go out and fish and they just hang out all day off the grid. That's the way to do it. All right. We got a question from useless genius on Twitter. Uh, I want to see a rematch between Ricky Starks and Sammy Guevara versus the mop and the broom. Are you going to give them a chance at redemption? That was hands down the best match I've ever seen. Honestly, (laughs) I don't know about that because, uh, I, I went through a flaming table for that and ruined my entire leg. Mm. (laughs) Yeah. That's how much I love wrestling. I went through a flaming table in front of no one and burned myself. So 
I don't know. I think I'm over that stuff. I, I think I'm over doing stuff with inanimate objects because I don't want to kill the business even more than it has already been killed, fortunately. <laughs> no, I'm joking. It's not dead. The business isn't dead. As long as I'm in it, it's not that. dead. There we I go. Got you. Uh, we've got one from uh, Supervato One. Who would win a dance off between Ricky and R Truth? Damn, definitely R Truth. <laughs> he has flex- more flexibility than I could even dream to have. Yeah. And he's been around forever, seemingly. I know. He has a, like a, the vampire gene. He does not I age. I know. He does not age at all. Exactly. <laughs> all right. We got a question from Lewis Hawkins on Twitter. With such a stacked roster at AEW, what can you bring that no other wrestler can? Oh, that's easy. Emotion and intensity. Hey, oh. <laughs> I'll, just, I'll just go ahead and say that right now. I think we, we lack that quite a bit. And I think, and I don't know if that's any fault of, of the, the competitors themselves, but yeah, I think emotion and intensity are the two things that I wish we had more of. I think a lot of that just comes with like comfort and confidence and being in that TV environment as well, which a lot of our roster right. is very young and hasn't had a lot of TV experience. Absolutely. But you know, on the, on the flip side, I don't think I've had that much either. Um, though, to, to go on with your point, I think that if you have had life experience, right? Uh, case in point, I have been in countless fights, especially when I was younger and things like that. That helps me out when mm-hmm. I'm in the ring because I understand what it feels like to really be punched and <laughs> to really be kicked and things like that. I'm laughing so, like an asshole. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, no, no. I I have no issues with are. that. I, I've loved those time periods in my life because it's only made me better for today. Um, but yeah, I, I agree with you. That it's, I didn't realize how young it is, but you know. Yeah, that's uh, that's interesting that we should probably delve into countless fights when you were younger. Countless. That's that's quite a number. So I, I went to a, so I grew up in New Orleans and I'm of right. a lighter skin tone. Uh, and so the neighborhood that I grew up in was predominantly black. And so I went to a predominantly black school. And uh, based back then, uh, you know, they just thought I was white, like full blown white. So there's a lot of times where that would be a cause of getting into some, some mischief, you know, like sure. just get into random fights on the uh, playground and things like that. Yeah. And then some of it was to my own credit too, because I, I'm such a little smart asshole. I have such a smart, smart Alec way of talking to people that I would also get in a fight. So there was a lot of times almost every day that I was from kindergarten up to like fifth grade. I was just in the fights constantly. And always starting shit with people, getting my ass kicked or running away or, you know, things like that. So I, I absolutely understand how it feels to be on both sides of that. And in my head, I'm just like, you just seem like the kind of guy that could talk yourself out of it. That's the thing. As I got older, I was able to. Right. So uh, there was a point where I had to figure out how to do that. But I was I was good at talking myself out of certain stuff. But then there was times where I just had no point but to just get it, just get whooped up. Yeah, that may lead to this question from Rashad on Twitter, who goes as Wolves, W-H-O-L-S-R-J-9-3. How did you come up with the Stroke Daddy promo in NWA and the vignettes that you did were for your introduction? How'd you come up with that? Just by being a smart ass when you grew up? Pretty much. The Stroke Daddy nickname <laughs> The Stroke Daddy nickname came from a friend uh, in St. Louis in like 2013. We had come back from a bar and he saw me talking to like a bunch of chicks. But it wasn't it was just me talking. I just like to 
I just like to flirt and use my charm for no real reason. And, uh, you know, he was like, oh, Stroke Daddy over there is just leaving us all behind because they were waiting for me to get into the, the taxi. And uh, he was like, oh, Stroke Daddy, they're just, you know, leaving us behind, just uh, hogging it up. And so <laughs> for some reason, I remember it's like a year later or two, I just used it. I just started calling myself that. And then it got to a point where I would meet people who weren't in wrestling. They just saw me casually through those vignettes and they would start calling me that. I said, hey, maybe I'll just stick with it. I wasn't a fan of it before because everyone seemed to have called themselves daddy around that, that time. I was like, that's kind of corny, but I, I went with it and uh, just turned it into like this moniker that people could try to relate to. And yeah, unfortunately I can't use it at TNT for obvious reasons, uh, but I, I don't, don't understand why, like why, can yeah. we not use why, that? why couldn't you use that? <laughs> we can say shit why on television. Why can't we use stroke daddy? <laughs> I think that's some, that's a, a area, a great area that no one wants to really deal with yet. That's because the parents don't want to explain to their kids what that means. Yeah. Cause that's I mean, to me, I tell people this all the time. The stroke daddy nickname just refers to my golf game. That's <laughs> all it is. I have a really good golf game. Right. And people take it in a sexual way, and I don't get it. Yeah. That's their problem, not yours. That's the problem yeah, with society weird. today. They take everything the wrong way. Yeah. All right. We've got a question from Roro for Show 2020. Uh, how is working for NWA, and what's the big difference between working with NWA versus AEW? I think the it, working for them was great, obviously, because I had a lot of leeway to make things happen. But at the same time, there's a lot of I think they were too heavy on the nostalgia. And I think that kind of like, kind of dipped in a bit. But working for AEW, the biggest difference is that we have so many people that come from WWE or WCW, you know? Yeah, so you can pull from each and get their advice just because there's so much experience there. To me, if you have that much experience, and this is what I've always wanted in my entire career, I would get so frustrated, so angry when no one would want to talk to me in the locker rooms or when I would ask them questions and it seemed like I was a bother. Uh, I just want knowledge of how everything works in the business. So to have that now has been such a great point that I, I and through the moon, I'm like a kid in a candy shop because it's so easy to just pick like, Literally, I could ask anyone and they would give me an answer in their own way. Um, I think I, I wanted to ask Tony. I was trying to come up with a new name for the finisher, but I think, Tony, you were busy this day. I was trying to figure out, like, what sounded good and, like, what, mm -hmm. would, you know, what would sound good on commentary. So yeah. I remember having to ask, like, Taz came up with the name that I mm -hmm. didn't care for too much. And then I was like, I need to ask someone else, just in case. You're the second opinion. Well, I like it. I like Rochambeau. <laughs> he called it Lochamp. Taz called it Lochambeau, <laughs> by the uh, way. I know, he did. I know he did. That's okay. <laughs> yeah. He can call anything. anything uh, Taz can say anything he wants because right. I don't want to get stretched. I don't want to get stretched or choked oh, you, out on I set. I got your so. back, Tony. I want to apologize publicly. <laughs> uh, I didn't give you a dap, man. I went to, for some reason, I pulled oh, that's it away okay. too quick. That's okay. That's I okay, you, you shit heel. I get you. Uh, okay, so so uh, this uh, this is probably a question that a lot of fans want to know, and this is just your opinion. Uh, this is from uh, Barry Jerry, J.A. on Twitter. Who do you think sh 
on the Indies should get the next chance at the TNT Championship like you and Eddie Kingston and Warhorse did? Dang, that's a hard one because I kind of opened the doors for Eddie and Warhorse. Sure, yeah, you did. Hmm, Man, guys with promo, guys with vignettes. Hmm, we seem to have a trend going. <laughs> right. Uh, I would say there's a guy named um, Moonshine Mantel. Mm. He's just a big hoss looking dude. I, I think that would be it. If we're speaking frankly, this mm-hmm. is not a knock to people, but I just don't think there's the current crop of independent guys are ready to just be on there. And that may sure. sound like a, a negative thing, but let's just be real. That's the only guy that I can see in my, my the forefront that I would choose for sure. There's a lot of great right. guys. They just need more time to develop. And I think right. once we have that, they'll be perfect. But for right now, that would be the only guy that I could think of. Okay. We have a question from Leslie V13. Uh, I know you had mentioned your debut is in front of no crowd, and you actually haven't gotten a chance to perform in front of the AEW crowd, which is insane. I didn't insane. realize that, yeah. Trust me, like it, when it happens again, it's going to be nuts. But how is life for you working during a pandemic and any sort of adjustments, like working for a new company in the current state of the world we're in? You know, I... I've, I've somehow gotten used to it. Uh, I've never really sat down and thought about the fact that I wrestle in front of no one. I like it. I think here, and here's the thing. I was talking to someone uh, last week when we were at the other party, I think wrestling this way only helps us because now we can really strip away all of the tropes, right. And really get down to the bare bones of what it's, what wrestling is at its core. And of course it's the entertainment, but now we have to figure out how to entertain without relying on an audible reaction. We have to just now just take a stab in the dark and say, this is what's going to get a reaction for the people watching at home. Right? So the things that usually used to work with the crowd doesn't anymore, but at its foundation, the bare bone structure of a wrestling match still works uh, in this. You just have to strip away everything else. So I actually like it. I, I find it to be a great challenge just because, you know, how, how often can you do this where you don't have a crowd and you don't have anything to really play off of? You have to find something else inside of you to bring that out. And I, I think it's only good. Everyone at, at AEW has been very great as far as feedback goes. So I haven't felt weird about wrestling and making mistakes. It's expected. I'm going to make a mistake and I'm going to be corrected and I'm going to fix it next time. So I don't mind it. Though I miss the crowd, but I'm used to it now. All right. Uh, Jay Matrine, that's Joshua on Twitter. How does it feel being on the TV and the promotion is different from performing on the indies? And who do you look forward to wrestling most in AEW? I hope it's Sammy Guevara. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'll answer that last part. I, I actually do look forward to wrestling Sammy. I look forward to wrestling MJF. Mm. I look forward to wrestling Cody again and Moxley. I feel like I have good chemistry with most people there. Just, you know, expecting that. Uh, but uh, as far as how it is to wrestle on TV, um, I don't, I don't think of it any different than if I was wrestling on the Indies. Right. Let me put it in this way. When I wrestle on dark, dark is dynamite to me. When yes. I wrestle on dynamite, Dynamite is dynamite to me. When I wrestle on the independents, an indie show is a WrestleMania or a, a SummerSlam or pay-per-view or All Out or whatever you want to call it. So they right. all are the same to me in the fact that they are of utmost importance. 
point blank. And so that's how I approach things. You have to practice how you play. It's, it's, yeah, if you exactly. don't treat it like it's the most important thing. You're never, ever going to hit that spot. Yeah. A big thing with me is I hate, uh, faking the funk. If I can't do something and be genuine in it, I don't want to do it at all. And that comes to wrestling. That comes to the promos. It comes to all of it. So my whole output, uh, excuse me, my whole outlook is that it is a very real thing to me. So the, the dark is just as important as a dynamite or a pay-per-view. So. It, that helps me out. Absolutely love that. Wanted to thank you, Ricky, for being here today on AEW Unrestricted. I'm so, so happy I get to work with you and see you every week. Uh, such a wonderful addition to our family. So, so great. Uh, you can subscribe to AEW Unrestricted wherever you get your podcasts for free. Be sure to like, be sure to leave a comment. All that stuff's really important because we love, love, love to hear from our fans. You can also watch us on YouTube on the, I think it's the TNT Drama YouTube page. Tony's going to correct me. Yeah, that's correct. Yeah, yeah. I got a text from Stacy too saying, yeah, cool, great. Yeah. I know exactly yeah. where to find our product. Uh, <laughs> tune in to AEW Dynamite every Wednesday at 8, 7 Central on TNT. I'm Aubrey Edwards. And I'm Tony Schiavone. Thanks for listening to AEW Unrestricted and Ricky Starks. Thank you, guys. Boom. Boom.